welcome to the Attack Action Podcast, where we talk about friendship, fun times, and most importantly, flesh and blood. Here are your hosts, Taylor and Isaac. Hello, Attactioneers. Me, Taylor, your co-host, here as always with my favorite co-host, Isaac. What's up, dude? Is I, Isaac. We've had a whirlwind of a weekend and, uh, you know, had a lot of big developments in our uh, podcasting empire development. (laughs) We are joined today by our uh, co-host, Colin. What's up, Colin? What up, guys? We're in my house. (laughs) That's uh, 100% correct. So we're in beautiful Highland Park, Los Angeles with Colin and his dog, Birdie, who you might be able to hear in the background. But, of course, it wouldn't be one of our fabled productions without dog noise in the background. So (laughs) you all have that to look forward to. Make sure you turn it up nice and loud in your commute (laughs) so you can hear her chomping her bones in the background. One of the main reasons I got a dog was so I could be included in that (laughs) tradition. Part of our podcast requirement. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we've been having a great time in the L.A. weather just like Colin barbecuing feasts for us on the patio and uh, having some good in-person friendship time. Yeah. Mostly hang out online, so this has been great. Yeah, lots of games too. Oh, yeah. Indeed. So <laughs> if uh, the listeners don't know, uh, we have been in Los Angeles as part of the casting team for the first major event in California, on the West Coast, actually, uh, there was a battle hardened in Pasadena that me, Isaac, Colin, and shout out to our casting buddy, Blake, got to participate for the live stream. Sheesh. <laughs> and then there was a bat, and then there was a road to Nats the next day, which me and Isaac played in. So we're going to get to talk to y'all about uh, that whole our whole weekend experience and the metagame breakdowns and just all of the stories that uh, came up from this weekend. So uh, buckle up, Buttercup. But first, the news. Well, the first thing on the docket is Worlds has been announced. It will be taking place in San Jose, California at the beginning of November of this year, which is just great news for us that live in California. Yeah, it's going to be nice that there's a major event so close to our house. I mean, so close to our house is like five hours away, so that's pretty good. That's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, you might still beat us there just by flying. (laughs) Or it's the same amount of time. I don't know. Yeah. Pretty, pretty giant state. So that's pretty huge. What else we got? Um, nationals has been announced. U.S. Nationals will be taking place at the end of September in North Carolina. Um, this has sparked a bit of debate and um, some complaints because it Nationals was announced, you know, uh, about two months before taking place, uh, which has <laughs> definitely caused some conflict for some people um, or most people. I don't know. For a lot of people, it's hard to take time off you know, two months or less than two months away, especially like uh, a good chunk of time off of work. 
so I know that that's caused a bit of an uproar out there. How do you guys feel about that? I totally understand. I think there is a bit of an issue currently with the timing of events, when they're announced, when they're occurring, and also how many there are. There's just so many events right now. I think everybody's feeling a bit of fatigue uh, just because we love the game so much. We want to play in all of them, but the time and energy that requires the travel, it just it all builds up and it, it can be kind of rough. Yeah, Colin, we were talking about this earlier in the weekend about how there are all these different types of events. Like we have armories, we have skirmishes, we have road snats, we have pro quests, we have now battle hardens, we have callings, etc. That are all according to the graphic from Legend Story Studios is supposed to be different levels of competitiveness. And that's not so much the case like definitely some people care less about certain events than others but in terms of events available for a certain type of player there is no difference because the community is so small that everybody goes to every event right like we play in blitz events we play in battle hardens we play in road to nats we go to callings like they're all the same people it's not like the calling is for somebody else uh, compared to, you know, a road to nationals. Those are the same people going to all of them. So when you have so many of them in a year so close together and announced with not enough lead time and you're very passionate about the game, it it's really hard to be able to schedule, find time, and then also feel like you're still staying connected to the community when you happen to be one of those people who's busy that weekend and you don't get to uh, participate because it's like everybody is participating. Like at least that's how I felt for New Jersey. Like I could not make that happen, but it was like basically everybody was there either at the calling or at the pro tour. And, you know, in especially when you, you miss out on the XP or the ELO or whatever other uh, thing is that you need to qualify where other people who have that flexibility in their schedule get to, which is maybe just the nature of like the game, right? And being a regular person with a regular job as maybe like, you know, why I'll never be national champ or something like that, you know? So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, I would argue there is uh, definitely a competitive difference between, like, Armory and Battleheart. Um, but I understand that that varies for a lot of people because some Armories are quite competitive, especially if they're local, uh, high-level players bring that competitive spirit to Armory. So I think that that is definitely a complaint at, at some local scenes. Uh, yeah, and for me, I've just had to, because I think it, for a lot of people, it adds quite a lot of stress the situation because things are announced you know at the last minute and they're coming up soon so then people have to like scramble to get off work and try to make it and it just makes the whole thing um you know like you said you don't want to miss out but then it becomes really stressful and you have to like maybe sacrifice other things in your life to try to make it happen and all that um so for me i've definitely 
had to kind of step back and like prioritize which events I want to go to. You know, like I decided I was not going to New Jersey, even though, yeah, it sucks to miss out. But because we were looking at, you know, worlds, maybe nationals, maybe, you know, it's just like there's so many events in the year that I, uh, I've definitely been doing better for myself personally to like not try to make every season of everything. And, uh, you know, that sucks. I would rather play in every season, but it's just like unrealistic. So what I would hope is that in the future, like maybe next year, they'll have everything scheduled out a bit better. So then you can look at like, okay, there's four callings around the country in the four different quarters. There's, you know, two pro tours, one closer, one further. There's the nationals and there's a world, you know, and you can like have that kind of outlined and then pick what you want to do versus thinking like, oh, well, this calling is doable for me. I need to scramble and do it because I don't know if I'll be able to do the next one or when it is right. or what, you know, all that. So, yeah, uh, I think that that's, you know, just what we would look look for in the coming year. Yeah. Being able to prioritize which ones you want to go to rather than reacting to every bit of news, I think, is the key there. Because then you don't know the full picture and you decide real quickly to go to one thing and then something else comes up and you're like, man, I really kind of wish I went to that instead, but I didn't know it was even happening. So, uh, and I, I know that's hard. It's a lot of <clears throat> dealing with a lot of different vendors and organizations to schedule all these things. But, you know, hopefully we're moving towards uh, longer uh, lead times on those announcements, uh, which it seems like these upcoming Battle Hardens that were also announced, uh, we've gotten more of a heads up than we usually get. Yeah, a little bit. It I think it's just hard because they're all smashed in here at the end of the year, and we have Leol, uh, Nationals, and Worlds all coming up, right? So it makes it really hard, I think, to really, you know, it, I guess the Battle Hardens are for kind of the greater metropolitan area, right, that's there. So maybe everybody shows up to the Battle Hardened who's in that city or a few hours outside of that city or something like that, so... Um, I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. They really need to change something. So it makes it, uh, way easier to participate in their game rather than, uh, feel like I'm always having to play catch up and getting stressed out about it and maybe burnt out about it, you know, but I also sometimes equate that to me and Isaac's particular, uh, situation where it's a minimum five hour drive to get to any event that's not an armory or a skirmish. So that uh, that maybe adds to it a little bit for us. Sure. I think as there are more events too, and as the game gets older, you know, people's competitive desires will be scratched a bit, you know, so maybe you don't have to make every battle harden that you could or, you know, um, just things even out. Uh, people, you know, fiending for uh, competitive events might uh, wane a little bit. Totally. Indeed. Continue on, good sir. Um, speaking of Battle Hardens, last bit of news, there have been a number of Battle Hardens announced. Um, go check it out to see if there's one near you and you would like to attend. Nailed it. <laughs> All right, we got some shout outs here. Justin the Wog. Arcane Games and Events for putting on an amazing weekend of events, being Battle Hardened and Rotenets. 
in Pasadena over the weekend. It was just a premier level event, great venue, really well organized, and we all had a blast there. Everybody I talked to had a really good time. Some small feedback, but they're a new company that's starting to do this kind of stuff. And I think we're going to have Justin on in the future for an interview, which will be really cool to hear about more of his journey getting into this and what he sees as the future for games and events. So thank you to you and all your crew. You guys were awesome. Yeah, Justin really knocked it out of the park. And I hadn't met Justin before this weekend, and it was a pleasure. I have a new friend, and his name's Justin. Great dude. Uh, my shout out goes to Tao Tao, who uh, was just a ice in the veins, slit the throat killer all day, both days this weekend. And we had a great time with him at dinner. And he's just a, a great dude to get to know and watch him play. And uh, I interviewed him for the... Um, the LSS article after the battle hardened. Uh, spoiler, he top aided. He's a monster. So, uh, great dude. Had a great time with him. So, shout out to you, Tao Tao. Hopefully, you're listening to the podcast. Yeah, great, great Katsu main. Um, and our last shout out, I just wanted to shout out Tyler Horsepool, who uh, uh, got a bit of vengeance and beat me round one at Road to Nats. <laughs> so, good on you. <laughs> <laughs> Scores 1-1, one, one, though. Totally. It was a tight game, too. It went down 3-3. Three to three. I was on Dromai. He was on Viscari. And, uh, yeah, just a really good game. I just love playing really good games. You know? <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> That's so true. Who doesn't? As we, uh, as we kind of practice here, um, the four of us, were casters for the Battle Hardened on Saturday. And then Taylor and I played on Sunday while Colin and Blake again casted the whole thing on Sunday, which was just a marathon of an achievement. So first of all, great job, you guys. I uh, hope you had a really, really rewarding time doing that. <laughs> great job to you, all of us. <laughs> Thank you. I did have fun. Did you have fun, Taylor? I did. It was okay. great. It was a it was an excellent time. Would do more commentary for games. So if you're looking for anybody, let me and Isaac know and Colin, but not Blake. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't. Blake doesn't listen to the show. So oh yeah, say he, what you want. He doesn't <laughs> listen to podcasts. Yeah, loser. <laughs> we love Blake. He's a great guy. <laughs> Um, anyway, so we got to see a lot of uh, how the meta developed, um, you know, what the field looked like, surprises, some like expected showings and the performance of all these different heroes. So I think we're going to talk about um, what we saw in the meta breakdown a little bit uh, in both events as far and also in the top eight of both events. And then we'll move into, uh, you know, some of our experiences and hot takes and like what what the game's looking like going forward. Yep. Yep. Sounds great. Let's talk about the Battle Hardened. Battle Hardened, we have our meta breakdown. Uh, as to be expected in a new meta, it was pretty open and diverse. It was really exciting to see the heroes people brought. Uh, some of the standouts in the 
being more popular being viscerai dromai phi and prism as well as bravo and briar kind of quickly or you know close behind them really making up <clears throat> about half or more than of the total meta uh, which is really cool to see we also had lexi dorinthia dash old him and icelander all rounding it out and even uh i think we had a couple rhinars and a levia as well mm -hmm. um <clears throat> we'll talk more about that later there's a azalea floating around as well yeah one azalea a couple kanos yeah i Both. think that was on sunday though no, was it on Saturday. Saturday, Saturday yep. too? Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't see that. Well, both the Kanos were matched up into Prism when I saw him one round or two. <laughs> or round one or two. That's, so. why, that's why we didn't see them again after <laughs> so that. So I was eyeballing them for the camera, but I did not have high hopes for their uh, <laughs> continued success, unfortunately. Yes. Sorry, no shade. It's just rough. Yeah, so we saw a lot of the new heroes. Uh, like I said, lots of Dromai and Fi. Seems like Fi overall having a harder time than Dromai. Yeah, so... We did not see five this weekend at all. Just in, um, we're not talking about uh, worldwide. Just this weekend in Southern California, we did not see five convert to top eight, right? Nope, nope. Yeah, so uh, they there's twelve point four percent of the meta at the battle hardened, and none of them made top eight. Uh, but what is kind of I think interesting is it's like. You know, depending on how you categorize Doromai, I think a lot of times it's kind of maybe leans more aggressive than it does control. You know, maybe it is a bit more of a mid-range deck. But overall, like the Viscerai 5, Briar, uh, we have just a lot of aggro out there. And that's kind of what was at the uh, top tables throughout Swiss, right? Was we saw a lot of Fies and Viscerai's uh up there at the top tables uh getting paired up against prism and that sort of thing and there's uh definitely kind of uh mixed uh results between prism and the aggro deck you know so mm -hmm. it seems like things are a bit more even than i had anticipated with how these heroes break down Agreed. That was a big takeaway for me was that um, the field was very aggressive as anticipated, but despite that fact, um, there were always prisms at the top tables. So the resiliency of prism and the fact that uh, despite this theoretically being a hostile meta or her bad matchups, um, you know, she like persevered and was always in the top tables, always in the top eight, um, you know, performed really well even though you would maybe expect her not to. Um, some, some important context, too, for our meta here is, you know, like some other places I know this is true as well, but Prism is very popular. I know not every, you know, buddies locals have people that do that, but we have a lot of people who main Prism, love Prism, have played it even when she had a rough time in the Chain and Briar metas. Uh, so... That's just kind of a constant level of expectation to have those uh, players there. So that's not always the case, but, I mean, it seems that we can say that Prism strong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, historically, right, it was like Prism isn't do it, shouldn't be doing well in this metagame, and 
you know, countrywide people are still playing her and still doing well, you know. So, I mean, Prism wins the Vegas calling back in the Monarch meta, mm-hmm. you know. So, it has been a good deck since day one, period. Yeah, and, definitely. You know. I was also surprised that Phi did not perform, especially with the number of Prisms and Dromai's out there. Because um, that's just like a very aggressive deck with a, like a pretty good average output. And then it's also kind of a combo deck and sees like a 30 or 40 plus damage turn, you know, within turn four or five, um, which I thought would put it in a very good position. So I'm uh, a little bit surprised and a bit unsure as to why um, it did not have a stronger showing. Uh, you know, there's always variants and there's always matchups and all that. So maybe Phi uh, is still quite good and just uh, underperformed this weekend for some ulterior reason. Do you guys have any thoughts on Phi's underperformance, or maybe like why Viserai and Briar seem to be better just statistically? I think one, Phi's just new. People are still learning it. They might not have had the time to practice all their matchups really well. I think another reason could be I saw a lot of Phi's playing each other, so they're just kind of cutting each other down. Um, you know, as as we've said before, sometimes you have to gem your way through these events, and it really matters who you get paired up with. Uh, and then I had didn't get to see a lot of their games, so I'm not totally sure where they are struggling. But I imagine with as many prisms and viscerize as there were, that's probably a, that seems like a bad matchup to me. I mean, prism can just do. I know people have said, oh, like you know, Phoenix Flame. Uh, some uh, their auras or like whatever you know. There's a lot of things that Phi can do that go so wide to deal with Prism, but I don't know. Prism builds that board state, and it can be very overwhelming and uncontrollable in, in just a couple turns. So, and they're willing to take a lot of damage to do that. And then on the other side, Viscerai is just probably just as fast, maybe even faster than Phi, with a lot of the split damage that you know that they're not blocking, and if you're getting those rebels or swarmings off you're just pushing through tons of damage that they're not doing anything about what was the original question (laughs) um just do you have any comments on like the underperformance of phi or like why viscerai and briar seem to be the premier aggro deck just based on the statistics of this event yeah so uh one of the conversations i had with different five players throughout the weekend was people's opinions about what cards should or should not be added uh equipment weapons just in the main 60 uh varies quite a bit right so not a ton is solved for that deck it's it's still only like this was week three right of road to nat or of this new meta since Uprising. And uh, that, I think, has a lot to do with it, right? Is that you are not sure what the optimal build is into the meta, and the meta is not solved. It's still, like, super wide open, Yeah. right? I think we're starting to see uh, kind of for sure that Viscerai is maybe the top deck, right? Even though... um, it doesn't win the battle hardened. It still is 
like extremely strong yeah right and i i would bet that we would have gotten more in the top eight because like the the whole top table was basically viscerized right <clears throat> viscerized versus x yeah. you know and we only had six rounds and a lot of x1s bubbled out yeah and i think if we had had a seventh round we would have seen that smooth out a bit more and maybe we get three viscerized in the in the top uh eight Another thing we had mentioned all weekend that I think kind of contributes to maybe Fi's underperformance or the fact that uh, Dromai like gets into the top eight but then doesn't convert a win, right? Uh, is that sp- specialists uh, can pray in this type of meta, right? We talked about it on the stream that like uh, there's three new heroes, two heroes have living legend out like it's unsure what the strongest deck is uh how to attack the meta etc so if you have just been uh a day oneer on something like reinar who goes x and one until the last round or alan on bolton who makes top eight right you can like i mean even tau tau on katsu right if you're a specialist you can do really well into this meta because you like know exactly what your lines are and how to play your deck and the other person like maybe isn't as efficient uh, either into playing you or just playing the deck in general. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a very uh, good point. Um, also, you know, I would argue that uh, Visrai especially, Briar in some ways, but Visrai especially is a bit more resilient than Fi. You know, if you hit Fi with a Command and Conquer, uh, it can really, like, make it hard on their turn, and they're a bit less productive with, like, three-card hands. Whereas I think that Viserai, you know, has a massive, you know, Mordred uh, Revel combo turns, but also can be, like, quite threatening just playing, you know, like, Red Mauve into Shrill into Rosetta um, just for three cards, and that's, like, also a very high damage turn. Um, so I think that that bit of you know, again, like against by a well-timed CNC or just like a bit of disruption can like really bring them down to their floor, whereas this ride's a bit harder to, uh, to handle. Yeah, and I think Briar remains the high rolly deck. It it requires just drawing that combo out and going super wide and pushing crazy amounts of damage, which we did even see on stream a bit mm-hmm. with a double channel Mount Heroic uh, on there, which was nuts. Um, and Viscerai too can be can be high rolly, but I think the deck is a little more balanced and can handle different situations. He can block out fully, build some rune chance and pass an arsenal card and feel pretty good about that. Whereas other decks, you take that turn off and it's you know it's pretty bad. So I I, I also think Viscerai is probably one of the top decks. I've been saying it for weeks. It's strong. It's still strong just more aggressive now which makes it i think better than it was before um speaking of specialists and the top eight uh looking at the top eight for the battle hard and i think six of the top eight are you could call specialists in their class and hero well more so hero because one of them the seventh could be of the class not the hero so right looking at the breakdown there uh we had two prisms two dromai's a Bolton, Katsu, 
Reinar and Eviscerai. So I just let that sink in. We had Reinar and Bolton and Akatsu in the top eight with the kind of more expected uh, Prism player. And, you know, pretty exciting to see Dromai up there as well. Yeah, or Reinar was the second seed as well going into that. Very strong showing that day. Yeah. He also played into a bunch of Briars and like Rune Blades and Aggro decks. He didn't like gem his way up. Yeah. You know, playing like I don't know Dory or whatever he's looking for. It was uh, it was very much just smashing through uh aggressive decks. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, he was uh, X and one at the end of the day. I think his only loss uh was to Prism in the last round. And we had him on stream earlier in the day. Just a great player. Graham is known to be a Reinar player. Shows up, does well. Top eight at the So Calling Two earlier, uh, which is a local tournament. And you know, great dude, solid player. So it's always fun to see him do well and uh, play great brute games. Heck yeah, yeah. The top eight was uh, really cool, and it was really fun to see all of these like quote unquote dark horses right yeah in the top eight and then uh they all lost <laughs> except katsu except for tau tau yeah tau uh, yeah. did did really good uh making it into the quarterfinals semifinals semifinals that's the one right sports <laughs> <laughs> um so the battle hardened top eight uh wound up being none of the, the both dromai's lost and Allen lost a pretty tough game to a friend of the show. Shout out to Andrew Rudin. Um, just a cool dude. I also got to interview him for the LSS article. And he's uh, what a sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in the finals, we had uh, Brian Moss versus Nicholas Schneider. Shout out to Nicholas Schneider. Me and him go way back to Monarch Meta at Game Castle. And uh, he was on Viscerai then, and he's on Viscerai now. Yep. Look <clears> at him. <throat> Top eight, battle hardened. Another main. Totally. Yep. You're welcome, Nick. Yeah. He won the first so calling as well. So, yeah, Nick coming down here. I'll, I think he's local now. Not quite sure. He seems to be showing up in the Bay and down here, but a great Viscerai player. So it was really cool to see him just have a great day on Saturday. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know. He's uh he's a great dude. Didn't show up at our meetup last night though, so <laughs> you know maybe less of a great dude I th than I thought he was. Might have been tired from all his slaughtering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So, uh, in the championship, Brian Moss takes it out. He goes uh nine zero. Yeah, on undefeated, the day. undefeated on the day. Yeah, yeah, real prism rampage. Yeah, yep. According to him though, he had some gem luck on his side. Avoided most of his bad matchups all day. And then uh, when he played Graham in the final round of Swiss, both of them had stated that they've never lost to the other <laughs> class before. And then they both, you know, somebody had, had, had to come out ahead. Had, had the opposite happen there. So um, that was cool to see him play. He seemed like a very solid player. I haven't seen him around much before, but he seems like someone who's going to be showing up and doing pretty well at these events. Yeah, totally. And you can check out uh, the whole stream. It's on YouTube. Uh, I think, what do you search, Colin, to go find the stream and listen to us talk about all these games live, post post live? Either search for Odyssey Games uh, channel, 
the store who was our host or i think if you just look for battle hard in la you should be able to find okay. it i'll put it in the show notes too i'll make a note right now to, yeah. to add the vods a lot of great games on that stream yeah so i guess my last little um talking point is well i did so walking around initially at the event my dark horse kind of was dory there weren't that many Dorinthias, but there were a number of them. And Dorinthia is a lot stronger now with just the, well, one main addition, but the addition of a couple cards um, has made that deck very viable. And, uh, you know, decks nowadays just kind of want to play out their combo and like spike harder than their opponent. And oftentimes are inflexible about which cards they can keep or use. And many decks don't block very well. So uh, Dorinthia can really capitalize on that on top of her good defenses. So I think that she was trying to like carve her way up there, um, but, you know, underperformed, I would say, um, despite like really showing up to the tournament. So uh, Dark Horse didn't pan out, but, you know, I think it's safe to say that Dory's back. And anybody that doesn't know her intricate attack patterns uh, or how to, how to play against her uh, will definitely be punished at some point. Yeah, I think any Dory players coming into this meta have a lot to learn, especially in the Dromai matchup of their sequencing, when to attack dragons, how to keep counters, you know, just keeping that in mind throughout because there still is times when their huge attacks can be covered up and they lose their counters because with their the new glistening steel blade, they can just rocket ship their counters, it seems. Yeah. So if they lose them, it can be pretty detrimental. And then all of a sudden they're not as strong as the other aggressive decks that are pumping out kind of more consistently high damage over their turn. Yeah, totally. And I would, I do like to note. I don't think we mentioned this at the beginning of our talk about the battle hardened, uh, that there were just right around like a hundred people at yeah. this. Right. Um, so it, you know, was a very big event, not calling level, but you know, pretty large. And a yeah. fairly competitive event as well, you know, like uh, most of the big names on the West Coast were probably there, you know, up from San Diego, down from the Bay Area. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Oliver, Oliver Fye, Tyler Horsepool. His, uh, like, a lot of his team yeah. who are also very well-known in the area. Craig Pollock, formerly the Scourge of Pasadena. Uh, he, he has since lost that title, but he... <laughs> He did have a great showing in the next uh, event, but you know we love Craig. He's a just staple Bravo Guardian player, that big sweetheart, and just a really great community member. So always excited to see him do well. Um, I think in the final game, it was pretty close for the most part. I think Nick made a pretty critical mistake in the end and kind of forgot what Merciful Retribution did, um, and then ended yeah. up getting killed by that which is always tricky. It's, but I, I think, too, he said he'd never played that many games in a day before. Right. So he was pretty tired, and we all know how that can go. I was tired. I think they're just watching and streaming all day, even though we were all cycling, it's rough just to do. And being there under the pressure of trying to win a whole battle Harden, that's, you know, he, he played great, and we're super stoked for him and his success there, even though he didn't get that final win. Yeah, for sure. Should we move on to the road to nationals or Isaac? Let me guess. You have something else you want to say before we, we get there? One more um, thing with Isaac. 
so well let's talk about the new heroes a little bit like Eastlander definitely showed up trying to combat the aggro decks but uh did not convert right yeah like um pretty much all the Eastlanders fell off i saw one you know at table six or eight or something at one point but that was just about it um dromai really showed up there were a lot of dromais mm-hmm. and definitely converted um there are some like fairly famous players and uh you know people that have i'm sure put a lot of testing into the game or into dromai specifically um you know doing quite well uh and it seems kind of on par with prism here right like despite maybe not being that strong into aggro it's maybe fairly well-rounded and while not everybody has a dialed list yet perhaps also not everybody knows how to play against it exactly yeah. um but then there's also the flip side of this coin that Dromai's made it into the top eight both days, but then nobody made it to the semifinals, um, which, you know, there's a lot of data to interpret there, right? Like, probably a strong hero, probably surprising people, probably, like, can get dialed further, but also, you know, just was unable to uh, really convert. Yeah, I think they had some tough matchups going into uh, the top eight, uh, looking at the battle hard in uh we had brian moss who won versus adam fifles who is a resident just headhunter here when when i, I interviewed him and when i asked one of the questions was how many rotanats and pqs have you top aided he said i don't know a lot and i know that that's true because i also don't know because he's won a bunch as well um so he's and he's a illusionist main for the most part played a lot of prism now on dromai really enjoying the deck um, and I know that that matchup is it's really interesting and nuanced. I think Isaac and I practiced on Friday, and he slaughtered me like 35-0. to zero, And then we played again this morning, and I got that win out. It was much, much, much closer game. So I think there's a lot to, a lot in that matchup that could go right or wrong for either side. And so that, that can be tough. And then on the other game, we had Tao Tao Chu versus Jarek, who's also a you know, local very good player. Shout out to Jared. He's a great guy too. Um, and I think Tao Tao just handled Dromai's all day, just slaying dragons left and right. So he knew what to do there, and his deck is really interesting. Um, I hope we get to see that deck list soon, and you know, maybe we'll can talk to him about that in the future because everybody there was just like, "Whoa, this is pretty cool." Nothing like real crazy, but the way he played it. And what he had going on in there was really cool. Yeah, and something to note, too, about a lot of these people we're talking about in the 90-day XP, they're in, like, the top 20, right? Andrew Rudin's number four yeah. in the U.S. in XP. Uh, and uh, Craig Pollock 17. Adam Feifels is 19. Uh, even, uh, who else did I see? John Zapata, who mm-hmm. we saw in the Road to Nats top eight. Uh, is number six, right? So there's just like a lot of heavy hitters down here in SoCal. Totally. Which is sick. It's it's rough out here. All right, so should we talk about the road nats?
great time. We had a road to Nat. <laughs> same, same, but different. Uh, the biggest difference was that the Battle Bros entered the fray and uh, were there to learn a lot about their new decks, which we'll talk about later. Um, I was on stream with Blake, also being joined by Josh, uh, Josh Myers, I believe. We had Blake Meyer and Josh Myers. I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, and give, giving me a little bit of break because uh, streaming for 20 hours over a weekend turns out to be really hard and your brain goes quite soft after a while and it's hard to keep up with everything going on. Uh, we still had a lot of fun. So uh, anyways, breakdown. For the most part, pretty much the same. I think yeah. the, one of the big differences, Viscerai bumped up, uh, Icelander bumped down, and a little looks like a little adjustment with Bravo too, but uh, Viscerai coming in at 16%. This was a slightly smaller event, I think 67 people, um, which is still pretty big for a road to nationals. Um, Dromai was at 13%, Prism 10, Briar was at 7, Fi again at 9, but still having a rough day, Dorinthia at 7%, so a slight uptick there. And then we had Bravo, uh, some Lexi, Reinar, Katsu, Kano, although the I'm not sure how many Katsus there were, um, but again, we'll talk about this soon, but Tao Tao just <laughs> slaying everybody uh, like the cold ninja he is. So really, really great day. Uh, again, most of the heavy hitters, if not all of them, showed up again. So fierce competition, I think. It was really funny. We did on stream on Battle Harden, we did some who's that guy spotlights of local players. And all three that we featured all lost their first round uh, and then didn't do really well that day. Uh, so we kind of had the curse of the, uh, the, the, or the stream, the stream curse on those guys. So we apologize for that. But we had uh, Chris Ayali, who is one of the uh, Tyler Horror School's team members uh, coming out of Riverside, Tyler Horror School himself, and then Craig Pollock, who I mentioned before, who all um, not actually super local to us but show up for big events and usually do really well so uh, and they all ended up doing much better that day except i think for tyler who didn't uh you know didn't do as great as i think he was hoping but still always a great competitor yeah i mean really similar to the battle hardened uh you know there's not a ton extra i have to say about the meta uh, most of my insights are from my own learning experience, we'll call it, uh, on the weekend. Uh, Isaac, do you have anything you want to input about the differences in meta, if any? I think this does foreshadow a little bit, like we touched on before. I think that Visrai is definitely going to emerge as the top deck, right? Because it, it just has a stronger showing today, and I think people are just going to gravitate that as things kind of like Right, because you have to be resilient enough to survive a wide meta. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like it's no longer just like, can I play into Starvo, Prism, and Viz? You know, Starvo's over half the field, like whatever. Now it's like, you know, you could play against Dorinthia, you could play against Lexi, you could play against Dromai, you could play against Easlander. You know, there's like uh <laughs> and there's a pretty good possibility that you will play one of those heroes instead of just playing against Prism round one. 
right? So you need to be a bit more flexible and a bit more resilient. And I think that's where I like really punches that ticket um, as does prism. I mean, of course, mm -hmm. uh, not trying to like understate prism. Um, she's always at the top there, but she has a looming retirement though. So yep. who knows how long she will be in the meta. And I think that opens up some interesting possibilities as well. But I mean, looking at how just the small changes in the meta, it does seem like Dromai, Viserai, and Prism are coming out as like strong contenders. It seems like Bravo can do well, um, especially for those who specialize in it, uh, such as like Craig Pollock. But again, when the meta is so open, the, it's hard because there's too many matchups. You can't sideboard for everybody anymore, and that's becoming a thing. So figuring out what that meta is going to be before you get there is going to be key for any of these big events coming up. Yeah. Um, well, so, yeah, it's like, as we as we touched on, you know, being more of a specialist and being more resilient, it seems to be the stronger thing. You can no longer just attack a meta, right? Like a really specific honed meta. Um, so we'll talk about a bit more of that a little later on. But first, do you want to talk about your experiences on day two um, playing in the road to Nats? And uh, Colin, if you want to chime in, because we did not have a bird's eye view of that day. So if you want to chime in with your observations or what you thought your hot takes, um, because you gathered a lot more information than we did. Uh, so Taylor, how was your Sunday? Well, it wasn't so much a bird's eye view for sure. It was more like a worm's eye view. <laughs> Getting crushed <laughs> by the birds or the boots of people walking upon me um so i played icelander so i'm sticking to my guns which i talked about before uprising came out that i'm just gonna freaking main this hero and we're gonna see how far we can take it as a personal challenge and so my my big takeaway was i have a lot more to learn it's a it's a very challenging deck into such an open meta that we have and kind of figuring out what the right 80 cards are has been pretty challenging and then it's just like a punishing hero right like you don't have a huge amount of uh burst damage and you really have to uh just be in the tank for the whole 50 minutes on what your opponent's doing what are your odds for drawing certain key cards playing to your outs playing on their turn playing on your turn um so mini games were like a lot closer until i made a mistake and then i just got blown out and lose uh, but for the most part i felt like i would be doing pretty well and then there would be a critical point in one of my games where i'd be like well i'm unsure what they have in hand etc i think this is the safest play and then it kind of winds up being a little bit of a miscalculation and then all of a sudden like something like dawnblade has three counters on it you know or uh it was revel in hand and they did have another blue so i get hard punished and you know take 12 damage i can't really afford to take so uh, that was a little frustrating but I for sure have learned quite a bit 
and I'm excited to actually keep playing the deck. I kind of like all morning I've been, you know, talking to you guys about like this is the these are the issues, these are the cards that sucked. How can we replace those, etc. So still trying to improve on it and I'm not giving up yet, you know. I kind of want to be like, you know, Alan who just like everybody's like, yeah, he plays Bolton all the time, you know, and he's super good. And if you don't know what's going on, you're going to die. You know, so that's kind of what we're aspiring to here, at least getting close to that. So how about you, Isaac? What did you think? I have more thoughts, but I don't want to just like continue to monologue. So, oh, sure. I want to hear from you. Uh, Yeah. So I did a similar thing. And I think this brings, so I played Dromai on Sunday because I like could not help myself. I'm very much in love with that deck right now. It is really, really fun to play. And, um, I haven't done much testing with it yet, but this this whole day offered like a lot of real world experience and uh, an opportunity to learn a bunch of matchups and you know uh, get some rep like real reps on the deck, uh, you know, against different players. So uh, I kind of took that opportunity and had a blast. I also did not do very well, but um, you know, learned quite a bit about quite a lot of different matchups and you know both of these heroes. You know, you could argue if you've been a Prism main, you might have a little bit of a jump start on Dromai. But I think both the, these heroes are, like, quite unique. And for me, like, starting from... It's been a long time since I, like, started from square one to learn a new class and a new hero. And um, it's mechanics. Uh, so that's going to take quite a lot of time. But I very much enjoy the deck and the play style of it. So I'm, like, really excited to, uh, you know, kind of take that journey. Um you know, moving forward here. So looking at your decks as you guys kind of brought them into this event, you know, as we said, what the meta's wide open. It's hard to prepare for anything. Uh, is there anything that you think you could focus on more to kind of either just ignore those bad matchups or expand your deck to be a little bit more resilient? Or, like, what are some of the main challenges you felt in playing your new classes? Heroes, excuse me. So, I would, because of the wide field, um, there are so many different matchups that you have to learn. Like, while developing your own deck and your own piloting, you know, every match you play is, like, likely a different hero on a different strategy. So, it becomes just, like, a lot more... A lot more work than just like as a playing into like three heroes and getting those dialed how do you spike an event by getting those matchups dialed now it's like i really need to know like 10 different matchups um kind of through and through so a lot of my mistakes on the day came from just like sideboarding wrong and having the wrong game plan you know and it's <laughs> yeah. like it could go a lot better with the same list um just if i you know knew the nuances of that particular matchup how do you feel about that taylor yeah, I played a different hero every single round. Um, you know, my day started off with playing against Prism, the one of the worst matchups I could have ever hoped for. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just awful. So for me, the Prism and Dromai matchup is like really, 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 really hard. And you just like don't have a lot of tools to combat what the other deck is doing whereas they have a ton of stuff that 
is really punishing to you, like merciful makes it so like frostbites. Yeah, deal, merciful ode. Yeah, deal you damage. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, this is like a huge part of my game plan. How am I supposed to play around this? I don't even have like really any attacks to like kill merciful. So this that's, is this sucks. That's an absurd, absurd interaction. I yeah. Think. And then, like, playing against Dromai, you know, like, they just have enough time to get out Mirage's, and, like, now their dragons don't have Phantasm, and Chromai's out there, and you do freaking kill it, but it gains an action point, so then the turn continues to happen. And you just, like, in theory, have these cards that, like, work. Like, you have Succumb to Winter, which where you can just, like, kill stuff, but it has to be frozen and there aren't a lot of ways to freeze things specifically allies that yeah. isn't just shooting them with arcane damage or attacks so i'm like unsure of how to make those matchups happen and your like biggest blowouts are like your uh frost hex combo right so you like make a bunch of frost bites shoot them with some arcane damage and then those frostbites get uh, multiplied by however many frost hexes you have. If you need me to walk you through that, listeners, just DM me. I'll I'll be sure to show you what that is. But that takes so long to set up that you can't do it against the aggro deck. So then, like, the hard part is like, what is my game plan? Like, great, I gave you four frostbites, and I only took a bit of damage, but like, I I dealt you three. And now your turn's over, and now we're going to start that over, you know? So, um, anyway, now I'm just vamping. <laughs> so, if we're looking at a meta that might be somewhat dominated by Viscerai, Prism, and Dromai, how do you guys feel about your decks into that meta? Uh, awful. Terrible. I should not be have started this personal challenge. This is a fool's errand, <laughs> and I regret my decisions. <laughs> Um, I would argue that the jury's still out on whether Dromai will be a part of the meta. Like, certainly a lot of Dromai showed up, but we'll see if they ever convert. I mean, I know a couple of won, a couple of rode to Nats and stuff. I'm not, like, arguing that she won't be powerful, but um, we have yet to see. But I think, like, Prism and Briar and Viscerai will definitely be um, pretty prominent. And that's a really good question, Colin, because that's kind of how I was approaching... Um, you know this this tournament right because you're kind of looking at aggro decks and prism and i didn't realize so much drama i would show up but like illusionist or aggro decks and so i'm like my options are lexi or dromai which i'm like pretty psyched to play and each of those decks attacks the meta in a very different way right like lexi is super good against the aggro decks and had i brought her on sunday i would have had Viscerai than Phi in my first two matchups, and it would have been an awesome, uh, you know, fortunate gem experience. But instead, I brought Jeremiah, and I got like two of my worst matchups. So, well, I, I don't hate Viscerai, but um, Phi is pretty rough. So, anyway, I guess my point is I guess, I guess the moral is I should probably be playing Viscerai into this meta, <laughs> but um, just from my, you know, I can. I can attack the meta in two different ways and kind of hope to gem my way through. I had kind of like a frustrated tweet where I was like, how the fuck do you gem t 
tournaments, you know, because I just showed up and chose the wrong thing and have really bad matchups instead of really good matchups. Yeah. But the bottom line for me, I was like pretty tired of playing Lexi into Prism like forever now, literally, not figuratively. (laughs) And it's just like pretty demoralizing and I don't enjoy that matchup. So I was like, well, it's nice to be able to compete with Prism for once. And, um, you know, I'm just going to bring Dromai and hope that I play like the mirror or, um, you know, Viscerai or Prism um, and like hopefully not see Phi or Viscerai. Uh, unfortunately, or not uh, Phi or, um, you know, I guess Bravo is a pretty bad matchup. But anyway, uh, I don't know. That was kind of my experience. And I feel like you just need a really resilient deck in this meta. And it's, it's probably Viscerai because um, I, I just don't understand how people gem their way through tournaments. Yeah, I tried I mean, and I didn't get it. I didn't do it. <laughs> it's like saying you need a little bit of luck, you know, to succeed in life. It's just, that's not something you manufacture other than hoping for the opportunity. But what I'm hearing is that it sounds like you have switched places. Taylor's on the unwinnable deck that he loves, and you are figuring out the nuances of a you know new powerful, perhaps powerful deck, and uh, dealing with maybe a meta that favors you slightly more. So we have an interesting uh, couple months in front of us. I think <laughs> totally, it's so fun to like actually compete with Prism, you know. <laughs> Like yeah. beat Prism, and I'm learning easily. learning this for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, Prism strong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, from my side of these this event, uh, you know, I got to watch some of the games. I think I streamed just a little more than half the games. Took a little bit of break. I think I took a nap in the production uh, booth for a second because, like I said, it was a long day. But some really great uh, matches we had on stream. One being a Viscerai mirror. And I think if you are in this meta and playing Viscerai, you need to be prepared for this. And I think it's pretty nuanced and difficult because it, it's a combination of high rolly and then also some like really important choices. The the match we had, uh, Arya Howe and John Zapata, uh, both locals, um, great players, great people. And it was really close. Uh, back and forth. And then at one point, John, like, it was like I thought he was losing the game, and I was just like, "Oh man!" He's and then he goes down to one, and I was like, "Well, he's gonna try something here, but I don't know if it's gonna do it." Ends up popping his quill hands and just like presenting an obscene amount of arcane damage and getting the win there. So just seeing that happen, it was like really impressive. So I definitely suggest that something you check out on the stream. Um, some of the other stuff we did, we had a Dorinthia versus Dromai, uh, which everybody i heard talking about this was like oh well you just hit their dragons and you get counters and you win the game and it's like everybody in their little theories before a meta is actually taken shape are just so confident in them and then you know if it doesn't work out you just like don't hear about it anymore but uh, <laughs> you know uh, this was uh ryan aldridge and adam feifels again two locals it was really great to see so many local people just like doing pretty well and having fun on stream um this one a little rough uh neither had played the matchup and i think uh like i was talking about before the sequencing being really important on the dorinthia side making sure that you uh guarantee your counters are going to stay to make sure you don't lose that tempo that you're building by 
by generating those counters, which ended up happening to Ryan, and he went for a big glistening steel blade into Adam, and it got totally covered up. I think he blocked 10. I forget how he did it. Check it out on stream. Interesting matchup, and then just lost all his counters, and then the just has to start over, and Adam already had the board state, so he's he's just coming back at you pretty hard. Um, so just lots of really fun games. I think, again, one of the highlights of the whole weekend for me was watching Tao Tao just, like, be a baller on Katsu. Um, he, I kept saying it throughout the stream, I had never seen anybody activate Katsu's ability so many times in a game and do it without looking at his graveyard, grabbing exactly what he wanted. It was either, you know, extending his surging strike combo line, which I think is pretty classic, but he'd also grab like combo finishers that weren't part of that combo he was doing, but it's just a strong attack to tack onto the end, combined with some even bigger than that, allowing him to draw cards and just keep pushing out crazy amounts of damage, sneaking in uh, the mass triggers, making it difficult to uh, cover up um, and prevent that from happening. And then, you know, just really great to see that because Katsu, I've grown to appreciate more. You know, it is, it can be kind of a linear deck, but it is always balancing that hero ability with what's in hand and what you can do. And I just, I thought it was super cool to see him do it with such skill. Yeah, indeed, for sure. Real highlight. So I got to shout out. Also, I, I forgot to shout out uh, Samantha, who we met, who's uh, Australian and is like the lead programmer on Fruit Ninja and was here and she was on stream a few times yep. playing Briar. Uh, and we gave a play mat out to like kind of a really cool community member that we had met this weekend and Samantha won our play mat. So uh shout out to samantha yeah, awesome was, awesome person who i did not know before this weekend yeah. and got to spend some time like uh talking to them over dinner and that stuff and was just like really fun and positive and friendly and like genuinely interested in like life and the people in it and yeah. stuff so it was awesome totally yeah she was on stream twice both days uh playing briar uh, some interesting notes there. She has scoured the battlescape in her in her deck, which I I'm still not totally sure of like the function of it, other than maybe to fix your hand and just like move through your deck to get through your uh, get to your channel mount heroics or something. But she definitely had some interesting things that I hadn't seen and I thought was really cool. And she she had a great time playing, even though I think she may have lost both times <laughs> on stream, but was super positive great energy really nice to meet her for sure definitely um so going to the top eight road yeah to Nets. yeah let's talk to the top eight road to Nets for sure so in the road to nationals top eights uh we see prism only gets one spot in the top eight whereas we get two viscerize again uh two dromize akatsu a briar and Craig Pollock, formerly good player, now redeemed on Bravo. Always good player, formerly Scourge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think we had, there was only one Viscerai battle hardened, but we did get the two Roach Nets top eight. Right. And then Prism, 
double top eight for Andrew Rudin on the weekend. Pretty nuts. Uh, so congrats to him and his. Yeah, double success. double top eight for Tao Tao also. Of course, as we mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so Isaac, what do you think about this, uh, top eight? This is a question or like something interesting to, uh, maybe talk about. Do you think road to nationals top eight is more indicative of the top decks or do you think the battle hardened is closer to the percentages of the best deck? Um, I think that this is not a good sample because everybody that's here for the weekend that played in the Battle Hardened also played in the Road to Nats. Um, normally, I would say a Battle Hardened is a much better sample of the meta because it's a tournament that people travel for and try to perform at, whereas Road to Nats, while competitive, are oftentimes local scenes and made up of local metas. Uh, I just think that this one is a bit skewed uh, because it was many of the same players. Okay, great. I disagree entirely. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Please tell us why. I think Dromai is real good. <laughs> I think Prism strong, and uh, Viscerai is also real good. So I feel like this seems like where we're at in our meta. Maybe Katsu is not going to be in everyone, but I think we're going to see a similar makeup in this top in these top eights. Uh, of course, it does depend on your local metas and what people are actually playing. But for me, these all seem really strong. I think Bravo has never been bad. He's just not been the best, but he's never been bad. And people like Craig who have stuck on Bravo, I mean, he switched to Starvo. We forgive him for that. <laughs> <laughs> but he also, you know, he did some interesting stuff in Starvo. I liked watching him play. I thought it was much more interesting than some of the casino style Starvo decks, but it's just a deck that can handle a lot of different things. It has some bad matchups, but so does everybody else, um, for the most part. And I think Briar continues to be a strong force and hard to deal with when they pump out, you know, 30 damage on a turn and keep drawing cards. And then, like we've been talking about, Viscera is good. I think Dromai players are going to be learning how to uh, shore up some of these harder matchups, um, but I don't know. I, I feel like this is a pretty good representation for me. Gotcha. Of the um, future. Was that disagreeing with you? I don't know if I actually disagreed with you. Not at all, but nice. great great points. <laughs> um, one, I trying to be controversial. <laughs> one, well, you definitely piqued everybody's curiosity to uh, you know keep the attention. Um, one thing I would like to note, too, is that you know, something that we've been kind of commiserating over is that with such a wide field and more and more heroes, uh, sideboard space has gotten, like, really, really limited. And it's it's very difficult to, like, flex for different matchups. So I think some heroes that are kind of innately more resilient or have a, you know, proactive game plan that they can successfully enact into more heroes are, like, a bit more successful. I think there are some heroes out there that, you know, in theory could be tech play into you know some matchup or some class or some meta but with such a wide field maybe there's just like not the room for them to be that flexible and then therefore suffer and are you know kind of underpowered like i know for i do think lexi is good right now but i know from like needing to flex lexi uh you know aggro into old him and prism and ice into aggro 
your deck suffers on both sides kind of quite a lot. And, uh, you know, if the meta was, like, more, you know, um, you know, monochromatic or whatever, it would be a lot easier to, like, construct a deck to attack it. Yeah. Um, We're talking about that, too, with Icelander as well. She seems like a deck that, knowing what the meta is, you can really build your deck to handle that. But when it's so open, it it has issues with you know its power level and things like that so that it can't be as resilient and that just makes it suffer into uh such a diverse meta but i think you know we'll see but maybe when we know what to expect you know who you're going to go up against for the most part you can really balance your deck to focus on how you punish those decks specifically yeah indeed uh I think that's like really true. And if we get Prism to Living Legend uh, after this road to national season, there might be a bit more space for Icelander in the game because now you will have to have some sort of like hard control counters to aggro. And, you know, I think some people are going to say, well, Icelander is really good into aggro. I'm like, well, all they do is just side in their blues and then that's all it takes to like continue to beat you so it's like really hard and if you're just like taylor you're an idiot well then freaking send me your list and tell me how to play it yeah you win your battle hardened with Eastlander and then say something yeah and yeah. if it's not pummel Eastlander, then talk to me yeah. we're at talking like about a, real wizards yeah at like a 12 person road to nats like get out of here sorry don't yeah, no don't get out of here. Person. Sorry. Don't <laughs> Good for you. That is fun. Totally. Maybe be... you should put Pursuit of Knowledge in your deck, yeah, too. Yeah, don't be mad at me. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry All right. Sorry. So... But, like, Icelander plays really well into the Guardians, the control deck, because they're, like, a little too slow, and you can just totally freeze them out. Like, set up your Triple Frost Hex, Double Insidious Chill, and then, you know, make seven Frostbites and uh, deal 25 damage. Profit. Exactly. So if that winds up happening in the near future, you best know your boy over here is going to be uh, wearing his blue witch hat with my ice club on or something. I don't nice. know. Is that what Icelander wears? Oh, no. No hat, no. but cool ice cloak on. Yeah. All right. He will be. He owns it. He's not <laughs> speaking metaphorically. <laughs> totally. we we'll send pictures. We didn't get a spoiler this <laughs> year and, or for Uprising, but we were prepared with costumes. Oh, yeah. So Wizards all around the place. We got robes. We got everything you need. Totally. All right. So looking at the top eight, uh, just kind of breaking down quarterfinals. Oh, right. Uh, we had Steve Lee. Also, shout out to Steve Lee. He is a, another powerhouse player, does really well locally and has always just been really strong on whatever deck he plays he he changes it up pretty frequently and i'm always impressed with the way in which he plays fortunately for him uh on dromai he went up against the dragon slayer tau tau so he got cut to pieces uh move so tau tau moved on to the semifinals. i now know what that's called uh, i'm just from you saying that i'm just picturing tau tau standing with two kadachis and like yeah. dragon heads oh yeah for a belt all around you yeah. know totally <laughs> walking little, into the fray little baby oh, dragon shit in <laughs> <laughs> uh, our next matchup we had uh, Rihanna versus Craig uh, Rihanna a local spiky kind of player loves to play Briar and other like kind of high rolly decks real aggressive 
<clears throat> they unfortunately got handled by the formerly known scourge of Pasadena, uh, Craig, and so Craig moved on to go against Tau Tau. Then in our bottom bracket, uh, Chris Ayali, another great player, went against Jerome, uh, John Ho, uh, Chris Andromai, John Ho, a Viscerai specialist, and <clears throat> John Ho took it on that one. Uh, and then we had Andrew Rudin going against uh, John Zapata, Prism versus Viscerai, and I'm pretty sure... John wins. Yeah, John wins. That's right, because we had the Battle of the Johns. Yeah, and we casted that. We got to call that game together, Colin. Do you not remember that? I, I remember very little from this weekend. <laughs> I'll be quite honest. It is it is a blur of so many flesh and blood games. Uh, but that's right. I do remember now. Um, it was it was a good game. Um, so, yeah, so Tao Tao goes against uh, Craig and John versus John. We were waiting to see which John won, but we know John did win that match as well. Uh <laughs> This is the cutting-edge reporting you were all here for. <laughs> yeah. In the Viscerai mirror, Viscerai won. Yeah. <laughs> it's more fun that John won. <laughs> uh, and then we had uh, we had Tao Tao and Craig on stream. That is a difficult matchup for Bravo, and uh, Tao Tao did not make it any easier and just sliced and diced his way. Just every time, I think almost every single hand he had surging strike, <laughs> and then he would get whelming. It was just nuts. He was like, dude, I think he even bigger than that twice in a row. It was just like, oh, we're just going to keep drawing cards and keep playing things. It was it was pretty sweet. So Tao Tao moving on to the finals, doing one better than the day before. Just an awesome weekend for him. Really cool. And then, of course, John did win, but it was John Ho on Viscerai. Um, so our final was Tao Tao versus John, and it was probably the one of the shortest finals I've ever seen. And I, I they just... Who's going to block? Nobody. Uh, although John Ho, I think, blocked a little bit more than I expected. But that the resilient side of Viscerai, you can block a little bit and still swing Amplify the Arknight with six rune chance to do 12 damage with no cards in hand. You're just like, cool, uh, I'm going to take this tempo off you right now. Yeah, totally. I was uh, playing a game against Thor Mike. Dude, shout out to Thor Mike, who flew over here to hang out and play some games and stuff. And his brother, Leon. Yeah, and his brother, Leon. Shout out to both of them. Great dudes. And we were like partway through our game before that match started. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll catch the second half of that. And then I look and then I just hear cheering. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this is o it's over. I missed it. Oh, well. <laughs> Die, Thor Mike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that match was probably 10 times faster than your Eastlander match was going. <laughs> oh, man. All day I'd look over and there'd be like one or two tables still playing games and it was always Taylor and it was just like he was concentrating, he was working hard and I'd check the scores and it'd be real low. <laughs> I'd be like, ah, that's tough. Totally. Just, 55 was... minute match. Are you ready for your next 55 minute match? Yeah, my, no shortest, break. my shortest match was against Kano, which I won, which was awesome. Nice. But the other ones, I just changed 50 minute matches into one another. <laughs> Um, and it's just like, pick your stuff up, sideboard, play again. So it's like, old him players, I don't know how you have done it. It's so tough. Yeah. Well, I think they have less to think about than you do. No, in, that's in true. <laughs> uh, no shade on old him players. I also like old him. Oh, I think we buried the lead there. John Ho did win in that super fast match. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Viscerai taking it down at the road to nationals. I believe John Ho already had his uh, invitation, but he had not won the cold foils, so he was very stoked about the Icelander and Dromai cold foils he won, as well as I think he got money too, which is also nice. But congrats to John, super well deserved, and uh, excited to see more of his playing in the future. Totally, and those it was a Bay Area finals, right? Yeah. Yep. Both of those from uh, up north. Yeah. So both have representing for us. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Well, technically, so they're going to tweet at us that John Ho lives in Slow. So not That's technically right. the Bay Area. Right? Central Coast, baby. Yeah. He's neutral. So just what, I don't ever. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to get the tweets. No way. He's on our team and he's repping us. Yeah. That makes That's way more sense at. now that he shows up to a lot of our events because it's much closer than the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, he definitely does both. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Ha. Huh. We're gonna we're gonna take him though. Northern I drafted California. him first. No, I did. I do want to shout out the power of even bigger than that. That card is insane. Um, I guess because Katsu is less represented. Um, you know, it's it hasn't seen a ton of or a ton of time in the spotlight. But just like Kadachiing and then instant speeding off your next attack. Even bigger than that, you get to opt three. Mm-hmm. So you get to construct your next hand, right? Or send cards to the bottom. You're like shaping half of your next hand potentially or something like that. Fishing for your power cards, fishing for your combo cards. In addition to just replacing even big that, bigger than that out of your hand mm-hmm. with an attack, creating a quicken token. Yeah. Um, which I guess everybody knows what it does. But just adding on opt three and the, the deck filter onto that whole thing is like incredible take out your three work weakest cards put in even bigger than that and now you have just a faster more streamlined deck that you get to filter um, yeah is it's just so powerful it's such a good card in katsu and uh you know obviously it's performing for tau tau yeah the quicken token i think being really important uh, fixing those hands where you have a combo card but not the rest of it allowing you to just extend your turn and uh, the other thing I know Tao Tao mentioned as the, uh, I think you said the best card in his deck was the Breeze Rider Boots. Yeah, so in the Battle Hardened, he said he played Prism four times and won all four times. And that Breeze Rider Boots were a huge reason for that. Like he can kind of tack on a like blue middling uh, combo card the mask trigger and usually it doesn't get blocked because it doesn't have go again and then it hits mask trigger breeze rider boots trigger katsu fetch trigger uh thank you i will deal more damage now gives all your combo cards go again and then he he goes again (laughs) yeah so then it kind of doesn't even really matter what you draw as long as it says combo or has go again they have they have it we're riding the breeze Welcome to our signature segments. First up is Pick Pass Prey, sponsored by Fab Foundry. Head on over to on its Twitter page, link in the description of this episode, and comment, like, retweet the etc. The rules for the giveaway that is the sponsorship of this segment are in that tweet. I think it's four packs of Uprising and two of the Uprising Blitz decks, your chance to win. So go check that out. So 
gentlemen, it is a draft scenario. I'm going to give you three cards. You're going to pick one, pass one, and pray one comes back around. Colin, you get first pick. Are you ready? I was born ready. Hells, yes. All right, first card is Ember Maw Centipive Red. Pitches for one, costs two, attacks for eight, defends for three. It's in a draconic illusionist attack action. It has Phantasm, and it reads, when Ember Maw Centipi is destroyed, create an Ash Token. So that's our first card. Second card, Aether Ice Vein Blue, cost three, is an elemental wizard action. Defends for three. Has Ice Fusion. Deals three arcane damage to any target. If Aether Ice Vein was fused and deals damage to a hero, they discard a card unless they pay two resources. Okay. Third and final card is Searing Touch. Draconic Attack Action. It's the red. They only come in red. So it pitches for one, costs one, defends for three, attacks for three. And it has rupture. If Searing Touch is played as attack, as excuse me, chain link four or higher, it has when you attack with this, deal two damage to any target. These iron citadels and machines of war will do little to slow the advances of the rebellion. So, Colin, which one are you going to pick, pass, and pray comes back around? All right. It's almost too easy. <laughs> but I think I think I'm going with the the Ember Ma. I'm picking the Ember Ma. I think the the fact that you can attack for almost half their life <laughs> in one card is pretty strong in draft. So and I also don't want to see that come back against me. So either way, if this is early in the draft I can pick this. If I pivot into Dromai, I feel really good about that. If I don't, I feel good that I won't have to see this card. So there's not a lot of downside. It's a little expensive, but in draft, I feel like your blue count's probably higher than usual, at least compared to like a CC deck. So we're picking that. Uh, I am going to pass on Searing Touch. That was the right name, right? Correct. That the one. That's the one with the guy. He's like holding the wall. This giant yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. That guy's cool, but I don't like his card. Uh, <laughs> I don't think. I don't know. The rupture ability isn't as good as some of the other ones, and it's not free, so it kind of could be a little bit awkward in the end. Uh, at the end of a chain, depending on the rest of your deck. So I'm just like not super into it, and then I'm gonna pray that. Uh, ether ice vein comes back because it's a blue which is good <laughs> it's also just a good card in in wizard in general the hit effect is really good um so it, it it's hitting all those things you want and i think if it comes back around it's probably a good sign that icelander is open and i'm gonna just jump right in there and and just swim in the frozen expanse of wherever she's from. <laughs> Isaac, what do you think? <laughs> I, 
I think it's just too easy when you're born this ready, you know? You know what I mean, <laughs> <Colin>? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, Aether Ice Band Blue, I think, is really powerful and it's a staple in the deck, but it's just not quite. It's not my favorite card because the three damage is, you know, not not quite the the life exchange you're looking for here. Um, still love it, but I would pick the, the Ember Moth Centipede over it. So pick Centipede, pass Aether Ice Bane, uh, or pray Aether Ice Bane, and pass on Searing Touch. Searing Touch, I mean, it's like unblockable damage and it's split, and you can kill an ally, but it's just like. It only gets up to a one for five, which is just on par anyway with the requirement of rupture and the one cost makes it harder to pull off than lava burst. Um, it's just not my favorite card. It'd probably be in the deck if it gets like wheeled to me, but um, not what I'm looking for here. Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. Nice. Good job. Thanks. Hey, you too. Smart guy. Taylor. Thank you, Colin. <laughs> so I am going to pick Aether Icefane Blue. I think that card is really baller. It's really hard between that and the Cinepie. The Cinepie is very good, but I really kind of don't want to play Dromai unless that is my seat. Uh, the, the deck's just a little bit harder to pilot and get the the value out of it. And Icelander can be really strong, especially with hit effects like Aether Ice Vein. And it's a blue that blocks for three. So you're like already doing super good. Um, and, you know, in this scenario where you only have three cards to pick and pack one, uh, I'm cutting off Wizard from who I'm passing it to. <laughs> Less applicable. Uh, but I hope that Cinepi does wheel because that is a really good card for Dromai, like definitely one of the ones you want. So if it's like the opposite of what you guys are choosing, if that wheels, then I can hop into Dromai if I haven't been able to pick up any more Ice Wizard staples. And then I'm going to pass on Searing Touch, even though it, I think it's a little bit better than we give it credit for just because it's a red that blocks for three, which is pretty nice in the Draconic Heroes. But for all the reasons you guys stated, that a little bit harder to get its ability off, and it doesn't provide extra value outside of its Rupture Chain Link. So we're just going to pass on that. Nice. So there you go. Well, you all heard right. it here first. Taylor was wrong. <laughs> Isaac and <laughs> I were right. Well, um, we'll leave that up to the community at Fab Foundry Twitter. Was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Fab Foundry post will just be, is Taylor right or wrong? Yeah. <laughs> and you'll have to listen to the episode to find out. But you're already <laughs> here, so congrats. You did it. Yep, there you go. Cool. Um, one thing I will say about, I think in the Uprising draft format, more than any other so far, um, your your first pick is more contingent on the rest of the pack because they vary so wildly. So if there's a lot of strong Dromai cards in this pack 
and only one strong Eastlander card, I'd probably pick the Eastlander card because you're sending a pretty good signal and vice versa also. So that like always factors in. But in this segment, we don't see the rest of the pack. Um, just giving that little caveat that that's like a huge, like I said, I think in this set more even more than others, that's like a huge factor here. Nice. Way Agreed. to undermine the whole segment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, classic uh well thank you thank you everybody thank thank myself thank uh thank dog and uh enjoy this board game from the closet here at the attack action podcast we love to play many board games um not just flesh and blood and sometimes we like to share a game with you that we enjoy in order to uh Oh, man, this is the first time I messed up the segment. Hopefully you will enjoy this game at home. <laughs> this episode's board game from the closet is Colin's board game. Yes. I'm so excited. I love this segment, and I love board games, so I have so many to talk about. But today, my board game from the closet is PAX Premier 2nd Edition. Uh, <clears throat> this is by Cole Worley. Uh, he's one of the few game designers I know by name and am a big fan. Uh, shout out to Cole if you listen to the podcast. <laughs> uh, just really insightful guy. If you ever want to read really cool posts about how someone goes about designing a game, check out his design diaries on Board Game Geek because they're super insightful. He talks about the history and re- he's like a history, I think he studied history, so he's like a history buff and really does a ton of research, does a lot of historical games that are very accurate and represent the conflicts and times in really interesting and uh, thought-provoking ways. This one is no different. So we are in Afghanistan, I believe, in the 19th century. So lots of crazy stuff going on. We've got England and Russia trying to manipulate the Afghani people into you know working with them to get hold of the area you know the region but it's super mountainous and you know all this stuff going on and then you have that afghani people also exploiting the russian and english people to you know their own benefit and everybody is kind of betraying each other and all this stuff there's some real i I read i started reading one of the books he recommended that goes over this history it's commonly referred to the great game which really exposes the colonial mindset of the time where they were playing games with other countries uh, and their resources and people but this explores that idea very interestingly everybody takes starts the game with a loyalty they can be loyal to afghanistan england or russia but there's mechanics throughout the game where you can just switch that loyalty whenever you want, basically. You can betray somebody. Uh, you can kill an important person from one thing to <laughs> become another uh, you know, faction. So there's this kind of uh, nebulous uh, loyalty going on, <clears throat> which really characterizes the actual history of the time where different parties had their own... Uh, goals and they would do what they had to do to achieve them Um, so it's a tableau building game you buy cards from a market to build up your court these are different characters and kind of regions and stuff like that and then it's also kind of a dudes on a map game but it's very simplified i should also mention this game is beautiful 
the map is a canvas map that you just roll up and you roll it out. It's, you know, screen printed. It's very kind of minimalist. And then you have uh, a couple tokens that are used in multiple ways. So it's interesting how you use them and where you place them and what they represent. Um, you're building roads, you're uh, gathering tribes, you have armies, and <clears throat> you're moving them about. And the idea is to, uh, there's these certain points in the game where there is basically an uprising. Pretty on theme there. All uh, bad. <clears throat> where everything gets shaken up, and they, uh, depending on uh, what is under uh, whose control, and if anybody has more influence on the total area, you know, throughout the total of the map, they can gain a bunch of victory points, um, but then everything's kind of uh, wiped a little bit. So <clears throat> it's representing these kind of uh, decades of times and generations um, on this larger scale timeline where there's these kind of upheaval events and then there's kind of moments of peace and less activity following them. Um, and then, you know, <clears throat> in the end, it's a uh, points, victory points game. You have the most victory points, you win. And it's just really intriguing. Everything about it is like there's interesting decisions. You're buying cards from the market and then leaving those coins on the card. So if someone else goes to get that other card, they get those coins. It's got this closed economy. Um, and everything about it, I just find really fascinating. Um, I think I've only ever really played it solo. It's got a uh, AI <clears throat> that's pretty interesting, um, but even then, I I'm really fascinated by it and have enjoyed it a lot. And even have like the metal tokens and the dope laser cut box insert um, that is screen printed or something that looks amazing. So that is mine. Pax Premier Second Edition. Check it out. It's from Whirly Gig Games, and uh, I you know if you like it, let me know. Yeah, I'm looking at the photos of it now when you brought it up because I've heard this game mentioned quite a few times, but I've never played it myself. And I was like, whoa, is the board really a piece of cloth? And you have confirmed that. And it's got this cool, like, looks like a piece of uh, embroidered cloth with some mountains on it. Very cool. Yeah. <clears throat> awesome. Great game. Thank, thank you, you, Colin. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Isaac. Thanks, Isaac. I'm pretty excited to check this game out. I know. And you're I welcome. <laughs> I wish we had time this weekend to play it, but we've just been too busy, uh, you know, playing Flesh and Blood nonstop. That's true. I have been playing all day long. Basically, I've been, we've been steeped in Flesh and Blood since me and Isaac left on Thursday, and it's Monday. <laughs> yeah, you, you said it earlier. We basically partied all weekend, and that's yeah. why I'm so tired. <laughs> yeah, totally. So really late at night. Uh, well, unless anybody has anything else they would like to talk about, I believe that is our episode. Thank you. Bye, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us, Colin. Appreciate you, as always, the backbone of our operation, etc. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at the attack action podcast on twitter we are at battle bro taylor and at battle bro isaac shoot us an email the attack action podcast at gmail.com if you would like to support us like and subscribe 
Shop for singles using our affiliate link or support our Patreon for as little as $4 per month.